So this podcast is recorded in front of no animals tonight, but there are cats and dogs wandering around the house, and they make noise, so you should, you should be aware that they're here. Also, this podcast, while not typically explicit in nature, has to be flagged explicit on iTunes because we swear a lot. It's one of our favorite things to do, just saying. Welcome to Productivity Alchemy, episode 31. Hi, I'm Kevin Sonny, your host. My wombat test subject, Ursula Vernon, is not with me this week. She is on tour, visiting schools, and so doesn't really have much of an update because her entire life is being run by her tour manager and school schedules and all of that. So we're going to take a little time off from that, and instead I'm going to head right into this interview. Now, Teresa Colon is someone I saw uh, through a Medium post, and I linked to that Medium post a couple of episodes ago about how this year she wasn't making goals, and it was just such a great post. I reached out and I said, hey, would you like to do an interview for the podcast? And she said, sure, and the conversation we had was absolutely fantastic. So while I prepare for my new job, uh, we're wrapping up my old job now, which is always fun. But while I prepare for my new job next week, I want you guys to take a moment or two, or I think it's like an hour and a half. Really sorry about that. And listen to my interview with Teresa, because there is some really great stuff. And we got kind of deep in there, and it was a lot of fun, and I really hope you enjoy it. Before we begin, I should also mention that this interview will contain some mention of rape and sexual assault as well as mental illness so uh, you've been warned uh, it is not explicit or intense but I understand how these things go go so that's your you know that's your content warning and we'll be right back Hi, everybody. I am here with Teresa Colon, who is with Wounded Bird Ministries, and they have a, an amazing mission. And I really want you guys to, to hear how she manages basically her day to day and maintains productivity. So, Teresa, can you introduce yourself to the folks who are listening? Wow, sure. Thanks, um, Kevin. So, yeah, my name is Teresa Colon, and I work with people who are on the road to recovery to mental health. Um, my life was severely impacted by bipolar disorder, which I didn't know until mm, fairly recently. And getting that diagnosis, uh, it changed my life because it explains a lot of the life experiences that I had. And um, in doing so, it released a lot of the guilt and the shame that I felt over things that I lived through. Mm -hmm. So I'm also really lucky. We have amazing health insurance and we have an amazing healthcare provider. So I've had the opportunity to take classes and get treatment that a lot of people don't get access to. And um, it, upsets, I'm gonna get emotional. it upsets me to know that not everybody gets that opportunity. 
And so now I'm on a mission to share the things that I've learned with those who don't have that opportunity. Um, and that's what Wounded Birds Ministry is all about. We have a Facebook group where we support people. Um, I put out posts on a website um, and I tell my own personal story on uh, Medium and I'm writing a memoir around it all because it's really important to me that we remove the stigma and I mm-hmm. think the worst thing that we have is the one that we give ourselves when we get a diagnosis. Oh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. And um, so as someone who's not neurotypical, and sure. if, if I use the wrong terms, please correct me because I wanna make sure that I'm not, you know, that, that I'm, I'm, I'm getting everything right. Um, how do you keep yourself organized? Yeah, so it's a, it's a special challenge, right? Um, um, I have a daughter who's ADHD, and how we organize her is differently than how we organize me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that can be a little frustrating when you're trying to run a household because everybody has to operate off of different ways. Oh, I know. Yeah. No, I have two teenagers. I understand completely. Yeah, okay. you know? So there you go, right? Yeah. Uh, so I use a little bit of everything because I need to. So I use a calendar to block out tasks. Mm-hmm. Um, Sometimes that'll be an hour. Sometimes it's just putting a thing up at the top of the day saying this is interview day or this is blog writing day or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a bullet journal and I use that somewhat to capture, you know, ideas, but mostly it's a task tool for me. Okay. And um, what I do is I vomit up every task I ever want to do and it just goes right down. And sometimes that's one page, sometimes that's two pages. Um, I don't think I've hit the three-page limit yet, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, do you know Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Productive People? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I'm actually I've actually gone through the um, uh, Franklin Covey Planner training. I haven't read Seven Habits all the way through, but I'm I'm really familiar with that system. Okay, so he talks about quadrants of productivity. Right. And um, reading that was really impactful for me because he talks about things that are, you have tasks that are urgent and important, you have tasks that are not urgent and important, you have tasks that are um, urgent and not important, you have tasks that are not urgent and not important, right? Right. And you can spend all your time in this one quadrant here firefighting, or you can spend all this time not needing to firefight because you're doing everything you need to do, right? So Mm -hmm. that's kind of the approach that I take to that task list. So I go through and I write everything down, and then I pull out the things that are most important to me and then I pick three. Three, okay, and yeah. So I get those one to three things are the three things I need to do that day before I get to shut down my laptop. And once those three things are done, I'm done working for the day. If I'm on a roll, I can keep going, but those are the three things I have to get done that day. And it really helps me. Um, mm-hmm. I use Scrivener for writing. I okay. love Scrivener for writing. Oh yeah. And I use, <laughs> <laughs> um, and Evernote is amazing. Um, I have a tendency to try to be hyper organized, and Evernote is helping cure me of that perfectionism. Because, <laughs> um, I'm the person who would stack the notebook inside the notebook inside the notebook and create like a crazy tiered system. You're preaching to the choir. You really are. <laughs> Good. I'm glad I'm not the only one. It's always <laughs> nice to know. Um, so now I don't worry so much about putting notes in the right notebooks. I worry more about making sure I have them tagged. Right. With a lot of tags and that they're searchable. Mm-hmm. And that lets Evernote be really helpful for me to track like little bits and bobs across my life. Yeah, because then once, because the search function really, it's like using uh, Google Calendar, or not Google Calendar, uh, Gmail, where you can label things and then you can use the search instead of going to it. Yeah, 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 no. Um, I love that feature when when it's implemented in tools. 
Yeah, you know, and it took me working for um, a business productivity um, company. I worked for, uh, they do, um, oh my goodness, BPM, so business productivity management software. Mm -hmm. And that's when I really learned, oh, I worked for them and I worked for an e-discovery. Uh, bipolar, I've had so many different careers. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I worked for an e-discovery company and I learned a lot about what unstructured data looks like. And then I go to work for this BPM company and I learned that there's a different way to organize yourself around this unstructured data. And then I discover Evernote. It was like a marriage of the two that interacts with the bipolar. And I was like, we have touchdown. <laughs> <laughs> so that sort of leads into the, the next discussion. Um, we've already talked a little about bit about the software you use um, yeah. and a little bit about your bullet journaling, but what other habits and systems are important to you through all of that? Um, so we'll, let's talk habits. And yes. there, are three, there are three that are vital to me. Um, sleep, mindfulness, and compassion. Okay. Um, so I told you earlier, these answers are going to be a little counterintuitive. So if I'm headed off on the wrong track, wrong tra if I'm headed down a road you don't want to go, just stop me anytime. No, 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 no. So, um, sleep mm -hmm. is a huge thing and it was actually one of the biggest challenges I had as bipolar person because insomnia is a key symptom of being bipolar. So that's one of the areas in which medication has been a huge blessing to me because mm -hmm. it really helps manage the insomnia. Now, then there's quality of sleep, right? So there's actually getting oh, yeah. sleep and then there's quality of sleep. So I've also had to do a lot around sleep hygiene. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's something a lot of people don't think about is the sleep hygiene part. And, and that this, while they might be getting X number of hours of sleep, they're not getting good sleep. Right. And, you know, and it's amazing how much little things make a difference, right? Like keeping the temperature at your room. They say like the ideal temperature is 68. I don't know mm. if that's everybody, but you know, yeah. uh, I keep mine somewhere between 66 and 70 and I'm usually that's better. You mm -hmm. know? Yeah. And then are you doing the thing where you, you disconnect from electronics and you don't have the, the extra light up, you know, like an hour before I'm bad about that one. I will be honest. I'm really bad about that one. <laughs> yeah. I'll be honest. It's not my strong point either because, uh, my little, uh, my little phone is super addictive. Right. And yeah. I have trouble ignoring notifications. Mm -hmm. Um, so, but I do, I do, it's something that I'm trying to be very intentional about. And part of that switch has for me been also a move to paper books. Okay. Okay. So, cause I read before I go to sleep at night mm -hmm. and I could read on the Kindle app on my phone. I could read my Kindle, which actually I love reading my Kindle. I have, I have mine right here. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> I love my Kindle and that's pretty good too. Um, but I, there's something about reading like a physical book and the tactile experience of mm -hmm. it have a lamp that sits next to my bed that does not emit a blue light okay so i can and i can read a physical book and that really helps um, my brain kind of calm down and, and ready for sleep yeah i i actually don't have the same problem with the kindle that i do with the phone right. um because i've got the the i don't know which model you have i have the paper white so it's really it's really dim you know it's, i have the oasis okay yeah yeah and i bet that one has more blue light as well um, I don't think it, I don't know if it does or not. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things about, um, so I actually I posted an article up about um, blue light and sleep hygiene mm -hmm. on um, my Facebook page the other day. And I had a couple people respond back to me saying, oh, just use night shift on your iPhone. 
Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. There are a couple programs that reduce the blue on your laptop and your phone to kind of set your brain into much into more of a twilight mode than you would get if, if it were full bore. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and you know, and I think this is kind of where you have to know who you are, right? Mm -hmm. And what you respond to, because I use night shift. Night shift goes on my phone at seven o'clock. I cannot, it's not enough to help me get good sleep that night. Gotcha. You know? Gotcha. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I also do a mindfulness practice, mm -hmm. which is one minutes of sitting in like silence or quiet meditation every day. That helps me learn my body cues. Mm -hmm. And that's important for me because um, when I know my cues, I know when I'm getting stressed out. Okay. And yeah. I know when I need to take a break. Mm -hmm. uh, so like if I'm feeling a little tense right through here, or if my <laughs> eyes start to get a little snug, yeah. and my shoulders are starting to come up and meet my earlobes. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm, I'm familiar with a lot of this. I get restless leg okay. when I'm under extreme stress. Like my legs just start to jitter. It's not something I want to medicate because apparently the cure is worse than the, than the, um, oh. Yeah, I've heard really bad things about those medicines, but I know when I'm getting stressed with work or something like that because my legs just start to jiggle, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, and it's it's important, I think, that we learn those body cues because they tell us so much important information. And um, as I started to learn those body signals, I found out that I was, re you know, and you start to think your way back through it, right? Mm -hmm. like this is you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT becomes really helpful. Right. Is you, you get the physical reaction, you're going, where did this come from? <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I learned that, you know, um, if I had too much noise in the background, it stresses me out. Um, or if I have, it, um, God bless them, I love babies. The sound of a baby crying. Uh, just, yeah. It just, it's just, it's, it's, um, I can tolerate it for a certain point, but now I can I can feel the stress levels that I have just go up. And and there are two different I think there are two different reactions to that because as a parent, yeah. right? There's the stress reaction of there's a child in need. Is it my child? Yes. Is it a happy noise? Is it a stressful noise? Right? Yeah. When you're not a parent, when you don't have kids, it's much more of a oh my god that noise is drilling straight through my hind brain. <laughs> You know, I, I've seen it from both sides, right? And yeah. so, you know, I, I understand completely. Yeah. Um, and then there's the, it's my own kids. Uh, that's a happy yelling, not a I'm in pain yelling. And that one you just filter out, right? Right. But until you can make that determination, it just just, just drives your stress level straight up. Uh, totally, you know, mm -hmm. and, and it's hard, you know, and um, so I'll be honest, it makes me feel like a bad person that I get stressed out over the sound of a baby crying. <laughs> <laughs> because you know um because i am a mom and i know that that other parent is if i'm feeling a little stressed out over the sound of an infant crying and that's not my child right how much worse is it for them right? oh yeah yeah right on the other hand that's a legit that's a valid response that i'm having mm -hmm. and so it's something that i don't know mindfulness has been really helpful for me oh yeah yeah not inhaling it mm -hmm. so that's two out of three. Oh. Compassion. Compassion. Wow, good keeping track, Kevin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the third one is compassion. Mm -hmm. And um, this has been the hardest habit for me to develop because I come from, um, I'm German in background, so I come from a long line of you will achieve. Gotcha. And there's not, not a lot of ground for, mm -hmm. um, you know, not, not meeting the expectations. 
So learning compassion has been really tough for me. However, um, it makes life a lot better. And getting the diagnosis, I think, really helps me because knowing that I've been fighting a battle, I had no idea what I was fighting before. Right. It makes me really proud of the things I did get done, and I have achieved, even in the face of all that. Um, one of the things that I've learned through therapy is that my best today is not the same as my best yesterday, and it will mm-hmm. not be the same as my best tomorrow, and that's okay. And that um, if I'm if I'm doing my best doesn't have to be a hundred percent every day. You know, it's kind of you're trying to hit a little bit of a moving target. It, it's uh, it's kind of like the spoon theory. But some days you have more spoons than others. You, you've heard the spoon theory, right? No, I haven't heard the spoon theory. Oh, okay. So um, this was an explanation from someone who uh, is uh, dealing with chronic pain. Okay. Okay. And they're like, we have, I have so many spoons in a day. Yeah. Right? Like, you have a whole big pile of spoons, and you can spend energy here, you can spend energy there, and the likelihood is you're not going to run out of spoons by the time you go to bed. I have 12 spoons. Right, so I have to make decisions around the idea of, I'm, do I want to spend a spoon to take a shower today? What do I need to do today, and where do I want to spend those spoons? Right, so if I've if I'm gonna take a shower, that's gonna be a spoon. If I'm gonna go out and get something to eat, you know, that's a lot of effort, and you know, or if I'm interacting with friends, even if it's just online or something, it's there's effort involved there, and and they're spending, they're basically using spoons up so that yeah maybe halfway through the day now we're out of spoons and they they their body is just like i can't take this anymore and it's been a really kind of um interesting explanation a lot of people are using it around mental health concerns um for the people who are are, um neuroatypical Uh, a lot of people use it around um people who are not um as able as others in order to kind of grasp because you can look at you know my pile of you know, I can visualize I have 50 spoons and you have 12, yeah. right? And I can visualize that I can spend, I, I have all this this, this energy and, and, and ability that I can spend here and you're very, very limited. And so now maybe I start to make adaptions to help you, you know, okay, uh, or at least understanding that yeah. to, you, you could just say, I'm out of spoons today. And, you know, that's a very visual, okay, that's cool. We can, yeah. we can deal with that. Um, I'll try to link the original article in the podcast because it was one of those aha moments when I was reading it, um, especially around, um, I have a friend with fibro, I have several friends with EDS. It, yeah. it, you know, it really helps you understand at least, or at least visualize a lot more what's going on with it. So. I love that idea because I do love the visual component of it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm excited to read that article now, Kevin. I'll, oh, yeah. I'll, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll send it to you as soon as I find it. So you don't have to wait for the end of the... You don't have to wait for the interview to okay. come out live. So I'll, I'll get that to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it sounds good. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's just one of those... And I think that compassion... like So in the work that I've done with people in the support groups and things like that, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm not the only person who struggles with self-compassion. I think that it's actually one of the... Um, and I want to pick my words here carefully. Um, I think it's one of the special challenges that a mental illness delivers to us is that we don't see ourselves um, objectively in terms of the amazing people that we really are. And um, and I don't think that we 
know how to grant ourselves forgiveness sometimes for not being the people that we imagine our, we need to be in our heads. And yeah, and there's there's some societal components as well, even for people who aren't um, diagnosed with something. Um, you know, there's that constant pressure to look a certain way or behave a certain way. And whether you're neurotypical or not, that pressure is constantly there. Um, yeah. In my own struggles with depression, before I was medicated, and let me tell you something, medication is amazing. Um, <laughs> Um, that was, you know, that was one of the things is that um, I was trying to live up to a standard that wasn't realistic and wasn't like the standard I had envisioned for myself. I was trying to live up to an expectation from, you know, honestly, from my ex-wife and her family and how they interact and not, and, and there's a lot of stress there because yeah. my personality type isn't the same as what they would consider typical you know now here we are almost 10 years after we split up and all that stuff and it's much more you know we we're much more compatible as friends than we ever were as as a married couple but that's because now we're not trying to lay these expectations on each other right um and that will <laughs> to not to not to make the the right or, or not to to say the wrong thing but that can drive you um if not literally insane to a point where you're breaking, you're mentally, you're, you're mentally yeah. breaking. Yeah. Yeah. So I call those shoulds. This is one of the things that I learned mm -hmm. in my therapy was um, the phrase don't should on me, or I have people shooting all over me right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I want to design a t-shirt around that because I really love that phrase. Don't, you know, um, I actually wrote an article on it called don't should on me because <laughs> You know, I think that a lot of times we we do we adopt those expectations that others mm -hmm. have of us. We don't, and we don't know that we're doing it. And I think that's mm -hmm. the worst part of it. Is shoulds are so insidious; um, they creep into us, uh, and we adopt them or, or we pick them up through osmosis. And it's not us taking out our own path, and it's not us saying, you know, this is who I am, and this is what I'm capable of, and this is what I'm interested in doing. Right. You know, there can be an mm -hmm. intersection of, of those kinds of three areas. When we pick up somebody else's shoulds, we start living somebody else's life, and we're not designed for that. No. You know, like, um, that's, you know, I know people who are, um, who have incredible leadership skills. And when I was a kid, I was told, "Oh, you're this, you're you're this amazing leader." Mm -hmm. Well, you know, fast forward, you know, forty years, and I took another um, program, and I realized, you know, I'm not really a leader. I'm an encourager, right? That's my heart, and an encourager. By nature, you encourage people to do something, and that can look like leading. Right. But it's not actually leading, and you know, and so to be able to take that that label off myself as a leader takes mm -hmm. a lot of pressure off of me. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, so what would you say the the biggest help or the best advice you've been given has been? And you can, <laughs> if there's a litany, just start at the top. <laughs> Kevin, because, you know, when I, I saw the interview questions before, mm -hmm. I read that, and, okay, so um, I think I'm a little bit bitter on um, self-empowerment stuff in general at this point, um, and I think that came across in that article I wrote about why I'm not setting any goals this year. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that my problem with it is that the advice is, um, 
And it's kind of like my, my problem with discourse in the country right now as a whole, is sound bites do not cover the nuances involved in a situation. Oh, right? absolutely, absolutely. And, and when we paint with such a big brush, we miss out. I think that's where the should start to come in, right? Like, mm -hmm. oh, you should get up power every day. Well, no, I literally don't have the energy to do that. Right. You know, don't, right. don't put that on me, right? So I read this question, and like the first two things that like came into my head was like, you need to set smart goals and stand by them, or you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, live life one day at a time. You know, learn mm -hmm. you know, all that stuff, and and you know, and that's really pretty on Instagram, and those are you know, but they don't, you know, that's honestly that kind of advice has been more damaging for me than it's been helpful for me, mm -hmm. if I'm being really candid. Um, so the best advice I've ever actually received is to breathe. Oh, just step back and breathe. Just step back and breathe. So there's something that happens inside our bodies that's really powerful when we breathe. And I'm not talking about, you know this. I mean, I see, yeah. the, I see the look on your face, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh. <sighs> It's not about breathing. It's about breathing, about getting oxygen deep into your system. Mm -hmm. you know? um, and so I learned a couple of techniques like four square breathing. I've learned three by 10 breathing, which are all just kind of different breathing patterns. But what they have in common is that you're not breathing into your lungs, you're breathing into your, and you guys can't see anything because but you're breathing into your diaphragm, which is like breathing into your stomach area for those mm -hmm. who don't know what diaphragm is. And when you do that, and when you hold those breaths, you help that oxygen get deep into your system and it releases hormones that are calming and um, mm -hmm. stress in your body. And it is probably the best advice that I have ever received. And it's one of the reasons why I value my mindfulness practice so much, because now I get that body signal, oh, you know, shoulders are up. In fact, right now mm -hmm. I feel like I'm talking a mile a minute and it's frustrating me. It's cool. So. I'm going to stop and I'm going to take my own advice. I'm going to breathe here. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, and, and so I can expound on it from our side a little bit. And that is when I practiced yoga and I'm really bad and I need to do it some more because it really helps calm me. But one of the first things that you really are told to do is focus on your breath yeah. because that has that calming and it, it helps you kind of center yourself mentally into, yeah. into a, a, an, appropriate you know sort of into a, a calming mindset yeah. right and that's that is such a like half of yoga practice is relearning how to breathe in that situation i want to say yeah 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 I, I, that's actually so i did do a yoga practice for a while mm -hmm. it was hard for me to maintain because again bipolar um but that is one of the first things I think I took away from it. And so then when I go into these classes and they start teaching, they, they you know, whoever thought that you needed to be taught how to breathe, you know? Yeah, uh, it, but it's, it's something we don't think about. And while we can, it's, it's not something we typically think of as having conscious control over. Right. You know, it's, it's something that we occasionally need to stop and think about and don't. Um, yeah. Unless we're in a situation like scuba diving or, um, you know, high altitudes where suddenly the amount of oxygen you have available is significantly different than where you normally live. Um, yeah. Yeah, I didn't. I, it's funny. We visited uh, Denver for a convention a couple of years ago. 
Yeah. And there was a lot of talk about altitude sickness, which is, you know, distinctly related to how you breathe and how much oxygen is getting to your system. And until you adapt to it, um, you can have, it took three days for it to set in on me, which was perfect because that's when we were flying home. <laughs> but, you know, it's something that, that if you live closer to sea level, like I do, it's not yeah. something you think about. No. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, what's interesting is like, so um, one woman I worked with, um, she lives with anxiety. Mm -hmm. And we did, when we spent one of our support nights really talking about breathing and progressive muscle relaxation, which is just where you kind of go through your body and you tense everything up and relax it out. Yep. Um, awesome, awesome exercise. Uh, she started doing that on a consistent basis, practicing some four square breathing. And she said that it really helped her with the anxiety because one of the things that she realized is when that tape started running in her head with all the nasty thoughts and everything, mm -hmm. that she was starting to breathe more shallowly in her chest. And so just being able to stop and breathe more into her diaphragm, first of all, it made her focus on something that wasn't in her head. Right. Which was, and then secondly, you know, it got the oxygen running and she, it changed her physical response and that helped, you know, reinforce the, the, the mind work that she was doing, which I thought was really, uh, really, I was really excited for her to have that. Kind oh of yeah. Thing. Yeah. Especially since when you have uh, something like that, uh, an anxiety trigger like that, what's actually happening to you physiologically is your body starts to go into fight or flight, yeah. which means it thinks it needs a different breathing pattern altogether. It's completely unconscious to you. It's, it's all on that, that hormone, how we're wired kind of level. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, and, and it's not just fight or flight, right? Like mm -hmm. it's fight, fight or freeze. And a lot of people right. don't know that. And I'm a freezer. Okay. And when you freeze, right, you're trying to pretend like you're dead. That's what freeze is. Mm -hmm. And when you're trying to pretend you're dead, you're not breathing. And that is, you know, um, that, that's why for me, I have to, when I know that I'm in an anxious situation or I'm feeling anxiety, mm -hmm. I have to breathe. I have right. to think about breathing because it's the only way for me to pop out of that sometimes, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and I am, I guess, the, the typical male in that I go straight to fight. <laughs> it's you know anger builds i get defensive it's it's not you know if i get to flight then there's a, a whole different set of dynamics but my initial response is always fight and that's very damaging if you don't realize it's happening not right. just not just to yourself but to your relationships to your you know your your work your you know not my chickens because my chickens are the most calming thing i have right now um, right but you know, it, it it's 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 overall sort of really bad dealing to deal with your your family, your friends, your coworkers when your first reaction is just pure anger, right. and then and and you never stop. I, I think the the opposite end of it. Why we don't think about freeze is uh, because the the I guess the typical response for a female is flight. Right. right, you know, uh, the defensive moves like break into tears or, or whatever, um, or just get out of the situation. And so we don't think about freeze when you lock up like that. I hadn't even thought of it until this discussion. <laughs> I think this is awesome. <laughs> well, it's interesting. It was one of the things that um, I, when I took an anxiety class, mm -hmm. I had never heard of freeze before. Mm. I had only ever heard of fight or flight. And I knew that freeze was something that I did, but I didn't know that I could associate that as a standard. And first of all, it made me weird, right? Right, like, right. I'm the only person who freezes. I don't understand why I don't have normal fight or flight responses, right? So let's talk about, I'm already weird. I'm already neuroatypical. 
And now we add this weird other response to anxiety, like mm -hmm. how far off the spectrum am I, right? <laughs> and, uh, so to find out that I'm not the only person who freezes and that in fact, it's actually, it's a standard anxiety response. Mm -hmm. you know, that makes a lot of sense to me. And, you know, um, uh, I've had a lot of really traumatic experiences in my life. Uh, most of those are bipolar influenced, right. but, but not all of them. Mm -hmm. And uh, my flight meter got broken. Okay. As a result, you know, yeah. so, you know, I think that's something else that, you know, uh, when a lot of times when we talk about mental illness, um, and we talk about trauma, people think about the trauma causing the mental illness. They don't think that it's a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, Kevin? They were, they influence each other. It's a symbiotic relationship. Yeah, that's the, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And um, I was gonna say binary, but that's absolutely not binary. It's no. symbiotic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a feedback loop. Sure. Right? One feeds into the other, feeds back into the, and it, it they just continually build and, and, you know, spin up and then, unless you have something to come in and interrupt that cycle, in my case, it's Zoloft, um, it, it'll just spin out of control and you don't even realize it's happening. Um, right. Not to overuse the metaphor, but in a lot of cases, it's like the, the old thing about a frog in a pot of water, right? You know, you're right. turning up the heat slowly so it adapts until it's just unbearably hot. The truth is the moment it starts to get hotter, a frog will really jump out of that pot because the frogs aren't stupid, but it's a right. great, idea in your head when you talk about it well sure i mean it's, yeah. it's an image that everybody can understand and can grasp and hold on right to, right. right yeah it's um yeah i think that's been one of like the real gifts okay so i may be the only person who considers getting a diagnosis of bipolar disorder a gift but for me it has been because it first of all it's helped me normalize mm -hmm. who i am helped me normalize my experiences um uh when i talked earlier about you know kind of going off the spectrum right mm -hmm. now i'm not you know, I get to pull back a little bit because now I may not be normal. I hate that word normal, but I may not right. be normal in like, you know, one standard, you know, deviation. Right. But the slice of the world where I am dead center normal and mm -hmm. I am dead center normal for who I am and where I fit within that slice. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to uh, Case Alexander, who um, uh, sh uh, she's an author. Um, she does a fantastic series. I cannot talk enough about this series if you like cyberpunk, but this is not the, the time or place. Uh, who also, I think, found her diagnosis as just almost liberating because it yeah. gives such a deeper understanding of what is going on. You know, my own... Uh, when, when I was hitting the initial point and uh, my own kind of diagnosis, almost self-diagnosis of, okay, I have chronic depression. And then later I realized that that was just a symptom of a larger burnout, right? Mm -hmm. You know, that was, there was a liberating aspect to that. Cause it's like, okay, now I have tools to be able to deal with it. Exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, I think that there's a couple of different responses and, um, I'll probably write a post on this at some point, but I think that you know, when we go through our, our undiagnosed life, right, we develop all these negative coping, we, we develop coping mechanisms, right. some of which are positive, but primarily negative. Right. And, you know, we have a lot of chaos and a lot of problems and a lot of pain and all that stuff that happens. But then, you know, it's interesting because I just, one of the things I realized in working with people who do get diagnosed is that um, there seems to be kind of um, three standard responses that people have. Mm -hmm. And they kind of depend, I think, on your age and your experience. Mm -hmm. So if you're diagnosed when you're young, you feel a lot of stigma yep. and you go denial and you don't want to do anything about it because that's, that's not who I am. Right. 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 
second standard response appears to be, okay, this is something I need to deal with, but I don't really believe it. You know, like you're, it's like it's like a subtle kind of uh, denial. Right. And so you go to therapy, maybe you take your meds, you do some of the right things. You weren't enough mm-hmm. to become dangerous to yourself, and, um, and but you you fall off the wagon, right? right. And, and 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 so you've learned enough to, to not actually get better, mm-hmm. but enough to pick up the guilt that you should know how to do better and be right. better. And I think that, you know, that the amount of chaos in your life kind of seems to increase as mm-hmm. a result mm-hmm. because you have another layer of guilt now right. on top of that. And then there's people like, sounds like you and people like me who go, hallelujah, I have a diagnosis. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know? we can fix this. <laughs> yeah. Great. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And we get serious about it, right? Mm-hmm. Like you start, I don't know about you, but I started journaling all the time. I dove into my mindfulness practice. I dove into, you know, the medication. Like I had, um, a, um, a, you know, chalk markers. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. had a chalk marker calendar up on my bathroom with a mirror. <laughs> and every day I took my pill, that got a big X because one of the problems I had was I didn't know if I had actually taken my medication every day because my brain wasn't organized yet. Mm-hmm. And I realized at the end of one of my pill bottles that I had another 30 days worth of doses when I should be getting a refill. Yep. And um, and so I said, I need to fix this, right? But that's a fixable problem. Right, right. And uh, yeah, so I think that it's, um, I don't know, it, it, when you hit that point where you go, I'm ready, I'm ready to get better, mm-hmm. I think that, that some amazing things can happen. But yep. you, don't always, you don't always have access to the resources, right? Oh yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And, and by the way, on the pill-taking thing, the biggest help for me was yeah. one of those weekly pill cases where I could yeah. look and I could see if I took my morning pills, if I took my evening pills. And now it's um, I now have one where I can take the individual days out and carry it with me. Yeah, so another person I talked with um, mm-hmm. started showing me that she's got pill packs. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I had never even heard of those things before, but those are amazing. Yeah, last time um, my wife Ursula went on a book tour, um, it was going to be a really long one, and it wasn't like one week worth. So I did little baggies of individual, like, you know, here's your morning pill baggie, here's your yeah. afternoon, and label it with the day and morning, day and, and night. Yeah. And that's basically what there's. There's a service now that you can get that with. Yeah. Um, I need to find out. Actually, it'd be really helpful to find out if my insurance covered it. But yeah. you know, um, but. I kind of enjoy my weekly today is the day I sit down and refill both our pill cases kind of time. Yeah. Right. Cause there's that reminder where I can look and go, okay, so I missed this pill on Wednesday or I made a decision not to take that pill on Thursday because I was having, you know, I didn't get it until lunch. And if I take my antihistamine at lunch, I don't sleep right, right. until like three in the morning. So, right. you know, stuff like yeah. that. And you know, like, and life does get in the way, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, and this is a conversation I had with my psychiatrist, which is, you know, how late in the day can I take my pill? If I forget, mm-hmm. how late in the day can I take my pill? And he really struggled. To, he was like, well, you know, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. Okay, so if I, I need to take it every day by 11. Well, you know, I mean, it's really kind of fuzzy and blah, 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 blah. Just take the pill. If you haven't taken the pill, just take the pill. Right, and that's right. what it boiled down to. And I was like, oh, okay. But, you know, my daughter mm-hmm. with her ADHD medication... Mm-hmm. She has to take it first thing in the morning, right? Because it's, first of all, she already has a rebound effect in the afternoon, mm-hmm. uh, and it and if that gets delayed by three hours or two hours or whatever, it is disastrous for everybody. Yeah. Yep. 
and and with um antidepressants at least in my case yeah. if i don't take my pill i take my pills at night so if i miss my pill say wednesday night by about noon or one o'clock on thursday i have a splitting headache i yeah. it just becomes murders because my brain is like hey something's missing here but i yeah. can't double up the dose right right because that'll just throw me completely off um right. you know and and i think that's something people don't think about is it's part of it's building the habits and routine but part right. of it is also understanding that every medicine is different and yeah. you know if like my high blood pressure medicine yeah there's the levels of stress i'm under right um they're just like if you forget one just take it same day whenever you'll be cool um yeah. and it's not as important as say my um uh, the medicines to help with my type 2 diabetes which are like no i need to take these kind of within certain windows otherwise i'll have a sugar crash right. or i'll have a sugar high you know i'll, I'll make myself hypoglycemic and yeah. that's that's really bad right yeah so yeah. well i'm glad you talked about the importance of routine too right mm -hmm. because i think that one of the default responses to getting a diagnosis is oh i'll take this pill and i'll be all right right you know and and, you know, and that's not to negate how important medication is because, dear God, do not take my pills away from me. In fact, um, I, had, <laughs> I, had, I had a very serious breast cancer scare uh, mm -hmm. a couple months ago, and I'm fine. No, no breast cancer, as it turned out. Yay! Yeah, right? Woo! You know, one problem I don't have to deal with. Yay! <laughs> um, but, you know, one of the concerns was they said, well, you're at high risk for getting breast cancer in the future, so we want you to take this medication. Well, my first question is, how does it interact with my bipolar medication? That right. is my very first question because, and I told them this, I said, you know, if it's a question between taking my Lamictal for the bipolar mm -hmm. and taking the to prevent possible breast cancer in the future, mm -hmm. let me tell you which one wins. And that's the one that gives me quality of life. Yes, right? absolutely. Absolutely. You know. Yeah. But, you know, even with the medication, I've had to learn that, you know, I have to have routines. I have to have habits. Mm -hmm. I have to... Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not the exercise person, right? Like I, this, there, there goes a shit. I know I should be exercising. Uh -huh. I know how important that is. Do I do it? Um, you know, nutrition. Um, I know that when I went sugar-free for about six, eight weeks last year, I dropped 15 pounds. Mm -hmm. um, but mostly it's because I was just eating better in general. And that's something that I'm working back towards. Right. right. And, and, you know, so there are other parts of this that are really important mm -hmm. um, besides the medication, but you know, man <laughs> yeah no 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 I, I i get it i mean you know and i'm I'm right there with you in the i need to exercise more yeah. you know i just spent a weekend at a convention where i was walking between seven and twenty thousand steps a day because i'm yeah. moving and, and roving and, and and things like that but when i'm at home it's maybe two thousand if i'm lucky because i work from home you know i i yeah. there's there's that aspect to it um yeah and i am at least while I'm not always great about it, I'm at least aware of what I'm eating and how it's yeah. impacting me because yeah. I don't, as, as a type two diabetic, I don't metabolize the same way other people do, right? right? So it's, it's like, I know I shouldn't eat that potato and I will pay for eating that potato later when yeah. I'm really restless and I can't sleep or when I've got night sweats coming out, you know, um, but man, those French fries, those French They're fries so call to you. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, you know, and that's been one of the more interesting things to me about uh, my road back to mental health has been, you know, when we first sit down in some of these classes, right, they go, these are the things you need to do to prevent depression, you know, and they mm-hmm. are eating better, they are exercising, they are taking your meds, they are mindfulness, they are, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, those are the things that they always talk about. And they say, but, you know, one of the best things that they, okay, this goes back to the best advice you've gotten mm-hmm. is to meet where you are today. And if you can't do what you can today, you know, do that one little thing that makes you feel good. And what I have found is that uh, the healthier I've gotten, the better, the more stable I've gotten, the more of an urge I had to take the next step. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so for me, it's one of those things where now I go, when I talk to people, it's not about doing everything up front. It's about doing one thing and doing that one thing consistently because that will inevitably lead to the next thing. Right, yeah. right. So how do you reward yourself? <laughs> uh, so I try to keep it non-food based. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. an important one, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and that's something I had to learn because for a long time food... <laughs> Pardon the hound. I, their chicken oh the chickens are on the porch they can't they they can't not bark yeah yeah (laughs) um you know i I, for a long time i did reward myself with food if i did a good job i got to go out and get an ice cream or i got to go out and order you know um round table pizza is probably my kryptonite uh, I don't know that you guys have round table. Uh, no, I, I, I've never even. Now, is this a style of pizza or is this a particular it's restaurant? A brand. It's a it's franchise. Brand. Okay, okay. It's a franchise. Um, but I've noticed that the further I used to, I lived in Detroit, Michigan for a year. Okay, yeah, yeah. And you know, and, and the same way with like Togo sandwiches. I, I met another Californian who lived out in Detroit, mm-hmm. and Detroit has one Togo's. And it was 23 miles away from downtown Detroit where I lived. Mm-hmm. And the two of us, we road tripped out there because, you know, it's a little piece of California that you can bring with you. But definitely it's one mm-hmm. of those things that the further you go, the less you're going to see it. So round yeah. table pizza, high quality, love it. Um, and But that was a reward. And that became problematic for me. Mm-hmm. So now I try to do um, more activity-based rewards. So maybe buying a book that mm-hmm. I really want or uh, knitting. I'm an avid knitter knitting companion on instagram (laughs) 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 Um, or you know going out going to go see a movie you know okay yeah yeah yeah. you know all those kinds of things and that um and and the more difficult the task the bigger the reward becomes Mm -hmm. um but also the more difficult the task the more i break it down into little pieces because otherwise it's not going to happen um i've learned like you know Baby steps are super important. So I have one gal in one of my groups, and she wanted to get on medication. Right. But the idea of setting up an appointment with a psychiatrist overwhelmed her. Okay, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, and partially it was because she was admitting to herself that there was a problem. Right? Right. So what we came up with was to have her break down that simple task of calling a psychiatrist, which doesn't seem like it's a big task, but for her was monumental, was to break that down. And so day one... Find a, find a name. Find it, yep. Record, you know, save that phone number in your phone. Day three, it's pushing a button. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was it. And that's how we got her to make an appointment with a psychiatrist so she could get medicated properly for what she had going on. You know? Right. Yeah. yeah. And so for each of those, you know, each time you do one of those little things, which was big for her, mm-hmm. you know, um, a, a little reward. And yeah. that's, those, I, I, that's what I try to do. I try to do, like, activity-based rewards. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Now, I, I admit, when we first started doing this and we were doing paper journals, like one of the rewards Ursula got for, because she is, you know, she's an artist. She's very, she's been very freeform. Um, yeah. Was uh, something simple, a little gold star on each day. So I have a pack of the little gold star stickers just yeah. for, for, you know, because there's there's that... Anyone who's been through the American education system, like starting at kindergarten, those gold stars are important. Those yes. gold stars are, are, you know, and it's and it's a psychological reward, even if it doesn't really mean that much. But like, it's something you can you can do just for yourself to say, I did a good job, and then you can go back yeah. and look, I did a good job, right? Well, there's actually, um, I think it's on Etsy. I think that there's a shop on Etsy where they actually do mental health stickers, reward stickers. Oh, wow. Okay. Like, I took a shower today. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and so just kind of like, yeah, I took a shower today, or I went to the gym today, or I took my meds today, or I opened my mail today, you know, which are all things that can be challenging for us. Oh, yeah. Um, I need to find that shop and I need to link to it again. Well, and as a, as a, child of the 80s who had the notebook with my sticker collection and you know all yeah. my friends had their you know it's just it's funny to see that now that that's still a reward because it was yeah. like you know uh, i'm excited because today's the day i got my allowance and i can go to the <laughs> the hallmark store that has all the stickers and pick something out right yeah. and buy it yeah. myself kind of thing um yeah yeah, yeah. i'm with you mm-hmm so let's talk about the opposite side of the coin. I saved this one for last because this one is always, uh, for a lot of people, this one's difficult. Um, yeah. And that is, what do you do when you miss or when you fail? There's my deep, deep breath. Yep. Uh, I, I hate failure. And um, one of the things with being bipolar is that I, and, and, and this is true of people with ADD or ADHD or mm -hmm. you know, a lot of other things mm -hmm. too, right? is that um, completing a task or completing a project can be really challenging. I am an amazing project starter. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I am, you know, I can map it out. I can plan out 12 months, 24 months, what this thing is gonna look like in 60 months doesn't mean it's realistic, but I can sure as heck map it out. Right. And, and I can head on down to Office Depot and I can pick up the new binder and the new notebook and the special pens and the label, and label maker and mm -hmm. all that, right? Um, and um, unfortunately, you know, uh, I, I took on the label of somebody who never completed a project. Um, mm -hmm. And that was really devastating for me. And, and so it got to a point where if I missed one task within that, it reinforced that identity so strongly for me. Right. That, um, I, you know, that started to actually derail me from finishing the projects. Whereas most people would be like, oh, just brush it off. You know, that was, that's an mm -hmm, opportunity mm -hmm. to learn. Right. Like for me, it was very, it hit me very differently than just as a learning opportunity. Um, this again, that's one of those places where, you know, that wrote, you know, Instagram prettiness, just, it, um, yeah. it's not helpful for me. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I mean, it is helpful for me, but it's not, you yeah. have to be the right to receive a message like that. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, case uh, was very open like yeah no if, if i miss or, or fail on something like that uh, it's going to be three days right. minimum you know right. just because it's just that crash and frankly if it weren't for my medication that would be me well and, yeah you know i think one of the things for me is that um especially growing up in such a success-oriented um family culture mm -hmm. um 
everything was tied to success. And so if I did not get the promotion that I expected when I expected it, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that I earned it or I deserved it, but if I didn't get the promotion that I expected when I expected it, right, then that impacted my identity. Right. And um, so learning how to, and I, I stepped I had a nervous breakdown. I completely fell apart. Yep. And so now, um, I, and I, my husband and I agreed that I would take a sabbatical, mm-hmm. um, to step back and kind of just pull myself back together, which is actually kind of how I went into a deep depression. That's kind of how I ended up getting my diagnosis. So mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. positive sabbatical, um, except that that sabbatical is now two and a half years. And <laughs> yeah, but you're doing so much more now than you would have had you, right? Right. So right. You, you've redefined your success. Oh, I've redefined who I am. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I've redefined who I am. I um and and as much as I'm bipolar, right? Like bipolar mm-hmm. doesn't define who I am. Um, and as much I don't define myself by you know my career and my income anymore. And I, mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, I had always thought that I was really good about not doing that because everybody always talks about defining your own success. Right. 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 And I'm sorry, I just did an eye roll there. Um, That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Because they're right, right? You have mm-hmm. to define your own level of success, but it's not as simple as a trite little saying makes it sound, right? Right. So, you know, um, it, it's been really learning to re-identify who I am and getting to know who I am. Mm-hmm. And that means saying, you know, um, uh, I get stressed out when babies cry. You know, that's part right. of who I am. I um, love taking long drives. That's part of who I am. Oh, yeah. And you know, like it's 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 understanding who I am, what I'm capable of, resetting expectations around what I can do, mm-hmm. developing compassion, right? Right. We talked about that habit, and just saying, you know, now if I miss, um, it, it it doesn't change who I am. Right. And another big part of that is, um, and, and I and this isn't a religious or a spiritual podcast, so I I want to be kind of delicate here, but. Um, you know, my faith has been a great part of that for mm-hmm, me. Mm-hmm. It, it's, um, I'm a Christian. Right. And um, it helps me to know that I'm not the one in charge. And that right. when I miss, it doesn't change who God is. Mm-hmm. It doesn't change um, how he views me. Mm-hmm. And um, and it doesn't change the plans that he has for me. So now that takes a lot of pressure off of me, mm-hmm. uh, which is a big help right and that's that's surprisingly something that we haven't discussed so much you have a cat um yeah um i i have four and i'm surprised none of them are in here with me right now um but that is is something that we haven't really touched on on the podcast and i think that that also varies by person when we talk about productivity um we don't always talk about people who have a spiritual belief or a faith that goes with that right yeah. i mean you know i'm a, i'm the i'm the guy with lutheran tattoos right okay. i have i have a, a quote from martin luther here i have luther's rose uh, i don't I'm know if you biography right now sure yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no luther, can you i, I, mean, I can't I bend my 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 arm to get it on camera um that's but, awesome yeah um but it's not something that a lot of people think about when they think about productivity is that your own personal beliefs, whether that's uh, uh, Christianity, Judaism, um, okay. Muslim, Buddhist, um, you know, uh, 
I could keep going, but my brain is locking up right now, <laughs> um, has a big impact not just on who we are and how we get through a day, but it also feeds into the compassion, to the mindfulness, to defining our success, yeah. um, even if it's subconscious. Yes. Right? You know, and there are people who had really difficult situations early on um, with religion and faith, and so now they edit that completely out of their lives. And there are people who come to it late in life and yeah. just embrace it and incorporate it in. So everybody's experience on that is different. And I think it's important to talk about that with everybody. Because if that is an important part of what keeps you productive and keeps you you having, you know, keeps your flow moving, then I think it's important to discuss, right? And I might, listeners, I, you know, here's your warning right now. If, if we go into this and it makes you uncomfortable, that's fine. Fast forward. It's cool, you know? But if that's something you want to discuss and, and you know, talk about how that integrates into your, your own personal forgiveness or forgiving yourself and, and being, you know, great, let's do it. Okay. I mean, I, I, I was afraid to touch on the topic because, you know, it's not a spirituality podcast and I know different people have different perspectives. Right. And right. I'm not here to push my faith and I'm not here to push my, uh, my belief system and I'm not here to push, you know, anything I believe on anybody. Right. Uh, 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 but what I can tell you is that um, becoming a Christian has, changed, has, has helped me tremendously mm -hmm. because it has given for in a lot of ways right 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 but also given me an opportunity to kind of redefine who i am um, mm -hmm. because i i thought that i had done a good job of not tying my success or my identity to my career and becoming a christian and taking that sabbatical brought it really home to me that mm -hmm. that was just simply not the case and so recentering my life around christ mm -hmm. has been a big help to me um and you know a lot of times when you talk about you know taking quiet time every day and, and this is it's kind of interesting right because a lot of christians don't like the word meditation right and it's what i find fascinating about that is that i think the word meditation shows up like 17 times in the bible mm -hmm. and, and and i think that uh, a lot of christians also think that if you're reading the bible that um that you are doing meditation and to me, they're two separate practices. Yeah. So I spend time every day reading the Bible, and I mm -hmm. spend time in prayer, mm -hmm. and I spend time, you know, and that's important to connect to God and to continue building that relationship. Mm -hmm. I also spend time in personal mindfulness and personal meditation so that I learn my own body cues. Right. 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 And, and, and I think that it's just as important to spend time with yourself as it is to spend time with God. But without God, you know, I... I you know, in your case, yeah, 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 no, 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 I, I, I get it. You, that's that's part of your centering. That's part of your core yeah. being, and that's part of. I'm not going to say defining success, but it's 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 like um, I guess it's Alcoholics Anonymous. They have that, you know, first accept you are not in charge and that there is a higher power. That higher power, I, I saw somebody who was like, it might have been a TV show. That higher power can be that street lamp. Yeah. Right that higher power can be the fire hydrant, but you have to, oh, I think that was, it, that was a great movie. Now, I, I, I can't remember the name of it. I'll have to look it up to put it in the links, but that was part of it, was just, was accepting that you're not in control. Right. Right? 
And for some people, that's an important part of, you know, uh, how they handle their day-to-day stresses. And if it's not something that's important to you, and if it's not something, you know, if you believe in, again, if you believe in the fire hydrant, then great, you know, different strokes for different folks as far as I'm concerned. Um, And also that the names of God are many, etc., etc., etc. So I think it's important when someone is spiritual and it's integrated into their life at that level to 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 understand that and while it may not work for everybody and it may not work for you know i i know i have listeners who are atheists i know i have listeners who are agnostic um and muslim and you know all the the entire spectrum of spirituality but to ignore it specifically when we talk about this sort of thing to just edit it out of the conversation does a disservice to people because spirituality is very important and if that's part of your life it needs to be integrated into these discussions you know it's it's interesting to hear you use that word integrate because that's actually um my focus word for the year mm-hmm. oh okay uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, i've um one of my coping mechanisms has been compartmentalization okay and, um you know uh so my sister died when i was 16 and she mm-hmm. lived a very difficult life mm-hmm. before her death and that right. impacted my entire family and i learned early that you know first of all loss happens oh yeah yeah loss happens and um you know it taught me that people don't necessarily stick around so Mm -hmm. i learned to kind of compartmentalize i have this group of friends over here i have that group of friends over here i have Mm -hmm. and and for me that was kind of like a hedge you know right yeah 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 relationship hedge because if this group of friends disappears I still have these friends over here mm-hmm. and that doesn't necessarily mean that they really know me on a deep and important level but it does mm-hmm. mean that I have a place that I can go to where I can feel comfortable so now you know I've had to learn it's one of the things about when you when you enter the body of Christ mm-hmm. right you are part of a single family and there is no compartmentalization within the body of Christ because we all have our own roles right, right? And well, so when I talked about being a coming an encourager earlier, that came out of a spiritual gift study. Right. That's how I learned that. And, you know, getting this diagnosis, I went and I spoke at a church event and I gave a testimony around my mm-hmm. experience because I got my diagnosis as a result of becoming a Christian. Right. Um, so I think that, and now I lead a group, it's the Christian community is mm. terrible about how it handles mental illness. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. No, no, yeah, no, I, I, I know, yeah, no. They're terrible about how they handle a lot of social issues, unless, you know, except in very specific groups. Right. And it's not to say we're Christian than thou, but there's a lot of, uh, but, but there's a lot of, oh, we're going to, uh, frankly, I find the, the prosperity gospel to be one of the worst things that's happened to Christianity because it isn't. Hashtag blessed. Yeah, exactly, you know. <laughs> Yeah, no. Yeah. So so that it, it, it feeds back into the into the Americanism of I've got mine, you can go get your own. Right. You right. Know? And and the idea of uh, you know, individualism and that whole Ayn Rand philosophy. Um, you know, we're not made to be self there's a difference between being self sufficient and not needing other people. Right. And 
And I think that there's there's been so much conflation between the two ideas that it's actually been very damaging for society yeah. because now we don't understand that we live in community because everybody should just be able to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps regardless of what their life experiences are, regardless of what they've learned, regardless of what skills you know their parents were able to pass on to them, right? Right, like, right. I'm a bipolar parent. I've passed on some terrible coping mechanisms to my child, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, and and now she's going to have to work to change some of those. She's going to have mm-hmm. to work to overcome those. And, you know, and I'm disappointed that that's the case, but that's also the reality. I'm fortunate because I know it and that she's young enough that we can work together to help right. her learn better things, right? Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it, it, you know, I work in these groups, and I had one woman whose husband was convinced that she was demon-oppressed, and that's where her mental illness oh, that. From. That one just, that one drives me crazy. Yeah. You know, yeah, I just, I can't get behind that in any way. It's just not the case. And and I know the portions of the Bible that these people point to and all that stuff. But, mm-hmm. you know, we know now that that's just not the case, that God designed us this way with these specific, you know, things for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and that's why I drive so hard with Wounded Birds Ministries, because this has gone beyond, you know, I'm so excited and, and, and I want to share. This is a mission, right? Like, right. this is my goal. This is, I don't, if you ask me, this is my purpose, right? Mm-hmm. This is what I'm created for. I have public speaking skills. Mm-hmm. I have writing skills. Yep. I have, and I'm a natural encourager. And I know how to build groups, you know, and make people form a community. This is what I'm built for. And now I know what it's, a, what my issue is, right? Like, I right. know who to talk to and who to, who to, who to help. And uh, and that's why this is so important to me is because, you know, there are people who just get so many. Okay, so another one. Here's another thing that the Christian community tells people that I despise. Right? I bet we're on this. We're going to be on the same page with that one as well. Okay, so depression. Yeah. You can't feel God. Normal symptom. You feel you feel like God has retreated and God has abandoned you. Right. Yep. Yep. You're okay. Not hard enough. You don't have big enough faith. Oh yeah, yeah. It's not a chemical imbalance in your brain. <laughs> It's absolutely your fault. <laughs> it's your fault. Right. And, you know, I, I, I've had women cry when we tell them, listen, if you are still praying, if you are still reading the Bible, even though you feel completely disconnected from God, mm-hmm. I don't know how to, how you could possibly think that that's little faith. That is amazing faith. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, Mother Teresa. Yeah, right? depression. Lived with depression. Lived with depression. Um, doubted, worked through it, but stayed on the mission, right? Even though she she was having crisis of faith, you know, yeah. almost all the time. And yet, you know, still, you know, it was like, this is what I'm meant to do. And, right. you know, and it wasn't, even she struggled with this. Right. Right. Oh, Martin uh, Luther. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Martin. yeah. Uh, you know, and there's questions about whether he was just depressive or if he was bipolar. Mm-hmm. My, I lean towards the bipolar because of the um, spiritual insights. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'll tell you, that was one of the, the spiritual crises I had with my diagnosis is because one of the symptoms of bipolar is that you have spiritual insights. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and in an extreme form, um, you can think that you're a prophet and you can do some incredible things. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I say incredible, I don't mean in a healthy way. Right, you can do right. Incredible things. Um, underneath that belief that you're a prophet, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to find out that David Koresh was that kind of bipolar one. That wouldn't surprise me either, yeah. Yeah, 
But for me, so now it makes it a question, right? So like, is my faith my faith Mm -hmm. or is my faith this weird chemical reaction in my brain? Right. 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 And so, you know, I really had to work my way through that and where I ended up kind of landing and where, um, and what it has meant to me and what does, so where I had to land when it came to being bipolar, Mm -hmm. the answer is yes. So Mm -hmm. not only is it a chemical reaction in my brain, but I'm designed that that's not it. That's not an accident. Right. I'm designed to have that chemical reaction. I am designed for faith, and what that means to me is that I was claimed at birth, before birth. Right. I was claimed in the in, in the way I'm designed, and that gives me a whole different sense of uh, belonging mm-hmm. and being loved and mm-hmm. being lovable right. and being fired. Right. So that is one of the other gifts that I've gotten from being bipolar is to be able to say, you know. This isn't a one-sided relationship. I was loved so much that um, I was given this. And there's challenges that come with it. Right. Uh, but there's challenges that come with everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. So th- that has been um, uh, really helpful for me. And as long as um, I'm really careful in terms of discernment, mm-hmm. um, I, it's a warning, right? You have to be really careful with discernment. Right. Uh, for those at home who don't necessarily know the, the terminology, that's that's insights both into people and things going on. Right. Mm-hmm. And making sure that I'm following um, God's plan as opposed to a human plan mm-hmm. or, you know, um, how, however you believe, if you want to believe that the devil implants, you know, things too. And, and, and I do. I do believe that, you know, the enemy sometimes comes in and tries to thwart things. Um, and I have a vulnerability there because of of this mm-hmm. chemical firing in my brain. Right. So I have to be, you know, extra careful around this particular issue. Um, yeah, but telling people that they don't have, one of the women in my group said, you know, the way she got around that question of not having enough faith is mm-hmm. by remembering the story of the mustard seed. Right. Where Jesus said that if you just have faith the size of a mustard seed, that is enough. Mm-hmm. And, um, that is really important to me. Okay, so number three thing that the the, the myth that the Christian community shares that yeah uh, frustrates me yeah. Uh, makes me so- scream at the heavens and and possibly my argue on the internet late at night. Yeah, um, <laughs> turn your worries over to God. Anxiety is simply because you don't trust God enough. I'm gonna I'm gonna swear now. Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I just, I can't, um, it's not a question of trust. It's it's a question of, you know, you're designed, you're, you, if you have anxiety, not only, mm-hmm. not only is that chemical reaction possible in your brain, right? right? Something has happened to set it off. Yep. And once that gets set off, coming back from that walking back from that is so challenging oh yeah yeah um you know go ahead oh no i was gonna say i i um despite doing public presentations my wife has um anxiety and she didn't really realize it until i think of the end of her second book tour when she's like melting down yeah right and realizing that there was an anxiety component that went along with you know and the stress components and the travel and all of that 
to the okay so we're you know i i'm going to be incapable of functioning and being able to say okay here's a medicine that will help me yeah. you know and i can take one in the morning or yeah. you know i can take one just after the event and yeah. bring it back down to to human manageable levels and yeah. just maintain yeah right 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 uh, one of the, I, I took an anxiety class. Like I said, incredible healthcare provider. Right, right. I took, a, I took an anxiety class and they actually had to simulate panic attacks. And the reason they had to simulate panic attacks was so that you could start to plan your panic attack. This is the theory. You plan your panic attack, mm -hmm. so you force yourself, you don't force yourself into one, but you, you, you force yourself into having the symptoms of a panic attack. Right. And when you do that, the next time you have a panic attack, you're like, oh, I've been here. I know what this is. And it's easier for you to recover from it. That's the that's the, and there's evidence to support that. Right, 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 right. So, I don't have panic attacks, and I'll tell you, going through that exercise of just five to ten minutes, maybe even fifteen, where we start going through the symptoms, I did okay with most of the dizziness stuff, even though I have I'm mm -hmm. really dizzy in general. Um, I did fine with most of it until we had to breathe in and out of a straw. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my gosh, so. You know, people who live with uh, panic disorders, mm -hmm. you are my heroes because I cannot imagine going through, you know, I, having bipolar disorder, you know, as much as it's a blessing, it sucks. Right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Crippling depression is no fun. Manic episodes where you wake up and you have no more savings left and you're, you're, you know, you're drowning in debt, no fun. None. You know, <laughs> when you picked up and moved halfway across the country on a whim, with no support network around you, that sucks, okay? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you, I will take that over somebody who lives with panic attacks mm -hmm. uh, and, and that kind of crippling anxiety. Um, those are my heroes. The, uh, you know, I, I mean, anybody who battles mental illness is a hero. I mean, you guys were warriors. Right, um, right. We, we get up and we fight every day, um, but uh, man, I just can't imagine going through that physical discomfort. We we have a couple people on our our staff with the security team I work with on conventions who have dealt with that and yeah. are able to recognize it in attendee. It's not just overstimulation. This person is having a panic attack in a bathroom. You know, yeah. that's really helpful because they know how to deal with it and. It, yeah. That may be something I need to write down as as part of our we need to train to recognize the symptoms of and help people get through their panic attacks. Right. right. Because you get uh, the, the event I was working this last weekend, 20,000 people. Yeah. You know, what are the odds that absolutely none of them are going to have a panic attack? Absolutely none of them are going to overstimulate. Right. When you know that one in four people live with depression, when right. you know that you know, two to three percent of the population lives with bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. You know, when you, the moment that you hit a hundred people, you've got a statistical likelihood. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, just getting back on the question of faith, real quick, Kevin. Right, 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 right. Um, you know, one of the other um, things that I've gotten out of my my spiritual walk has been joining small groups and running small groups. Mm -hmm. And because I am not a person, um, I told you earlier, right? Like I'm used to friends abandoning me, and right, so right. I'm investing in those relationships. I kind of stopped. Gotcha. And, um, because joining small groups allowed me to create real relationships, mm -hmm. to learn to form relationships in a healthier way, and also how to belong to a community. And right. that is something that um, uh, I know a lot of people struggle with because they feel so isolated. Mm -hmm. And 
Um, and so if there's anybody listening to this, if I can, I'll pitch it. Um, <laughs> pitch away. <laughs> out of the audio if you want. Okay. But, um, you know, if there's anybody out there who, who feels really isolated, you know, you, and you're not comfortable sharing your diagnosis, that's understandable. I, I get it. Um, you can go to your local church and you don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to be a Christian to go to church. Right. Uh, we have a lot of non-Christians who go to our church. We have a lot of non-Christians who are in our small groups. Mm-hmm. And the reason they join our small groups or the reason they volunteer is so they can feel like they belong to something. Mm-hmm. And that's acceptable. And, you know, we we would love to have you, right? Great. Um, and small groups are a great way to kind of get involved in, in, a, in a very um, – in a, in a low pressure way. Now, when I say low pressure, I recognize that for somebody living with anxiety, but that that's a tall order, right? Yeah. So again, meet yourself where you're at, mm-hmm. but you know, they, it, it is probably the best opportunity, the lowest pressure situation that you will find to get to meet a couple of people and get to know them mm-hmm. and kind of, um, and we know that community is a big part of, right. of getting better. But if you, uh, but on the flip side, if you do go to that church that happens to be the oh welcome, and now we're going to pile you up with things how you can help and pressure you into doing it, you're at the wrong church. church. Find a different <laughs> church. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of um, Pastor Nadia Bolts Weber in Denver. Uh, she runs a house for all saints and sinners in Denver. Okay. And she is phenomenal talking about her own struggles her own past and um and uh, she runs one of those low pressure look everybody's welcome and i think that's that's one of the things that isn't necessarily practiced as often as it should be in modern american christianity is that everybody is welcome and you don't have to believe to participate right right we have a the Episcopal Church here in in the town I live in does a lunch for the community every Thursday. And it's not just for people who can't necessarily afford lunch. It's for everybody. There's, there's, you know, whether, you know, it's there for the community to get together at lunch on a Thursday, right? right? Right. It's not a food kitchen. It's just everybody come in and have lunch. Right. And, and, you know, like my church's tagline is no perfect people allowed. Yeah. <laughs> because, because, you know, and I love that because, um, you know, we have people with tattoos up and down their bodies and we have people who, you know, well, they don't wear suits every Sunday, but, you know, they dress up nicely every Sunday. Yeah, they, yeah. They like to feel a little bit more put together. And we run a Celebrate Recovery program. And if you're a recovering addict and you need a support group and, and maybe AA is... Mm-hmm whatever reason you need to or you want to try something different celebrate recovery is a great program and it's not just for addicts right they right. also have mental health support so mm-hmm. you know, i run a special my, my my church has a support night where we run um divorce groups grief groups um financial groups and i run mental health groups right um, and we run a couple mental health groups um your church doesn't offer that and unfortunately not enough churches do right there's you can usually find a celebrate recovery program somewhere in your area and that mm-hmm. is once a week and you know like with the mental health groups i run christian on the other hand you know practical tips and advice and really working with you on using evidence-based um skills to mm-hmm. help you get like science right like, you like know. yeah not not just well it says over here in the bible 
X. No, here's the science that says do Y, and so we're not just gonna, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm actually I'm writing a, a devotional now mm -hmm. around mental health, and um, I hope to have that out in the next couple of weeks. Um, it, it's important to me because because of how poorly the Christian community handles it to put together a something where people can do a Bible study and understand that God meets you where you are right. and doesn't expect you to be more than you are or, or, or what you're capable of because that's mm -hmm. how he makes you and he knows that, right. you know? Yeah. Not that, that frustrated that you you aren't a good Christian until you do X, Y, and Z. Right, right. right. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Oh, man. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, if you don't go to church, you know, with your hair done and your makeup done every Sunday and if you're not, you know, putting in that, you don't even have to tithe. I mean, you're encouraged to tithe, but, you know, the yeah. spiritual it's similar to the mental health journey. The further you go along it, the more you feel a desire, the more you feel an urge to to participate in some of those things, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and, but and if so you he, don't, you don't. It should be okay. Yeah. Right. And, that's, and that's where you are. And that's fine. And mm -hmm. I, I wish that the Christian community did, I, I wish that those who represented Christians in our society represented us in, in a way that to me feels more Christ-like, which is this conversation that we're having. Right. Right. Well, there's the, the, I always wanted to write, and I never got around to it, a, a blog post, like, I'm not with those people, right, <laughs> about my own, about my own faith. Because the moment you start to say something like, I believe in, you yeah. know, that a lot of people just click, okay, turn off. Because right. they've been hurt, they've been burned, they've been judged, they've yeah. been... So uh, I don't talk about my own spirituality that much because the audience I'm trying to reach um, doesn't always react well to it. Plus, sure. I'm basically, what, what does my wife say? I'm a, I'm a Lutheran agnostic. Yeah. I, I believe in casserole and coffee and, uh, and, and, and jello molds. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's, it's, it's something that I think people are, are often afraid to discuss because of this judgy culture, because of this prosperity gospel culture, um, uh, and, you know, not to dissuade them, but the big e-evangelicals yeah. movement are, are very, you know, you have to be right with God, not God is already right with you, you need right. to be right with yourself. Right, right, yeah. exactly. And, you know, I'll tell you that, um, you know, I've had to grapple with a lot of the, as much as getting a diagnosis released me from guilt and shame, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. There are still things that as I work my way through therapy, there are still stories I come across. This has been one of the reasons why um, writing my memoir has been so helpful for me is because it's helped me uncover some of those stories that I still need to work my way through. And um, there was one in particular, which was a sexual abuse situation that I was in and felt um, you know, it was just kind of one of, when I started, it was just kind of one of those things that I, I get, I lived through and right. I experienced and I didn't label it as sexual abuse. Then when you're finally able to recognize it for what it was, you know, one of my things, my therapist said to me, um, and oh boy, did I look into getting a Christian therapist? Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm not with a Christian healthcare system. Um, right. He said to me, you know, now imagine Jesus sitting next to you. And I was like, oh my gosh, I just want to vomit. I, I want to put, you know, a blackout curtain over that part of my life. Mm -hmm, I don't mm -hmm. want him to have seen me doing that. I don't want him to have seen me, you know, in those situations. And so I really had to come to grapple with that. And what I ultimately realized was that um, the, the story of the, uh, 
uh, let he who is without stone throw the uh, without mm -hmm. sin throw the first stone. Right. 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 Like, right. right. I, suddenly I was that condemned woman on the other side of that. And mm -hmm. Jesus was saying, you know, neither do I condemn you. Right. And right. that was something that I was already forgiven for. And so that, you know, that is another place where faith has really helped me work through some of those issues that mm -hmm. uh, stories that I've, I've lived through. Yeah. Because a lot of the forgiveness aspect of the, of faith is not just around you is not just around you being forgiven. But you right. having the ability to forgive and to accept forgiveness. Yeah. A lot of people have a big problem accepting forgiveness, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah. Especially when you talk about forgiving yourself. Right. Right? It's really easy to beat yourself up over something you did 30 years ago. It totally is. Right? But learning to forgive yourself and to accept that forgiveness from yourself yeah. is so very difficult and once you do you know or once once you're able to do that even outside of a spiritual context you're able to 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 move forward past a lot of that stuff yes. you know and and there are people who who are like it was a bad situation and it wasn't my fault but still can't like get through get into their head that that you know they can forgive themselves for that. They don't necessarily, although there's a large component about that, have to forgive their abuser. Or, right. or you know, that's sometimes that is beyond your capability. Right. And I, you know, I understand that. But being able to forgive yourself and accept that forgiveness is a completely different thing that no well, one wants to talk about. Right. Oh, right. do you? Oh my gosh, yeah, because it, that sounds conceited, right? Well, right. I forgive myself, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the wrong thing, right? Like if I love the way you phrase that, right? Like mm -hmm. you, forgiving yourself is accepting the gift of forgiveness, right? Um, and and you know we're always taught that it's better to give than to receive, but receiving in itself is a gift. Receiving mm -hmm. gracefully is a gift to the giver because you're allowing mm -hmm. them into you, and that is probably. This is why one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about small groups is because my I have had to learn to accept from my small group. I have had mm -hmm. to learn to um, to let them love me. I've had to learn to let them pray for me. I've had to learn to let them, you know, look at a situation I've been in and said, you say, you know, you're fine. You're, you know, gosh, I don't, I don't know how you had the strength. I don't know how you. And I look at them and I go, you know, uh, one other woman in one of my small groups said. Um, uh, all these women are, are, are warriors walking around in human skin. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, you know, and then when you think about it that way, you go, holy cow, you know, like it's, it, there's, I don't know. I, and I'm mm -hmm. kind of, now I'm just babbling at this point, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, there's there. I, I believe there's, there's a, a piece in there of not just when you forgive yourself, but when, especially when we talk about survivors of domestic abuse, sexual abuse, mental abuse, right. that just, getting up and getting through your day is a battle right. and that you know you you really are a warrior for being able to just just do something as simple as get up get out of the house go to the grocery store right. you know that is you're a hero especially you don't like to think about it because right. that that that's sort of like you know we don't want to necessarily you don't want to elevate yourself in that way right but there's a there's a big component of you know you've been through a lot the fact that you're able to cope and 
continue, or even if you're coping badly, the fact that you're able to do it is yeah. phenomenal in and of itself. But a lot of people don't want to think about it. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and I find that um, tragic. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because there's a lot of people living in a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. But I mean, that doesn't mean we want to go outside and, and be just like, oh my God, thank you for coming out. You're such a, a beautiful, amazing, <laughs> strong person for being able to get out of the house today, right? right, they're, right. They're, they're little victories that are very personal. Right. And, and I think being able to celebrate them personally, you know, again, with, with maybe an activity reward, or right. in my case, you know, I will occasionally have a, a really expensive low sugar chocolate. Yeah, there you go. Because, you know, apparently 70% cacao is like almost no sugar in like a little cube. Um, but, but, you know, just being able to celebrate those little victories sometimes. Right with yourself not necessarily right. in a group is really important because oh yeah totally important right yeah. like if you it, but that means you have to recognize them right mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and to recognize them sometimes you have to you know um, acknowledge the story that you've been through right and so okay so i'm sitting with my therapist one time and, and if i'm getting too personal or whatever just tell me to shut up but <laughs> that's what editing is for right <laughs> <laughs> you can say okay wait i was not comfortable with that story cut it out Right. No, 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 no. I, listen, if there's one thing, this is my purpose, right? And so one of right. the things that I committed to is being as transparent as I can be. I have to be sensitive to the fact that a lot of my experiences touch on my family experiences. And right. so I try right. to be sensitive to that. Um, uh, but mostly they ignore what I do. So it's, we're okay. And, and I don't mean that in a negative way because I actually have a very close family loving. Um, right, 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 right. Yeah. This is one of those times where my mouth just pff, runs ahead of me. It's cool. So... <laughs> But I'm talking to my therapist, right? And I'm telling him, right? So I have um, a sister who was an addict. Right. She also got cancer. Oof. She also died in this really weird, tragic way mm -hmm. at a young age, not from cancer, but right. like mystery around her death. And, you know, I'm pretty sure I know what happened at this point. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we get we get writers and reporters who reach out to us periodically because they want to get a PI or they want to do a blah or they want to mm -hmm. blah, 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 right? Um, you know, I, I had that. I've had, you know, three sexual assaults. I've been raped. Right. I've been, you know, I've had the sexual abuse. I've had, you know, I've been, I've, I've had eviction notices on my door because I couldn't handle my finances. I've right. blown up my life four or five times in a hypomanic cycle. Right. So when you start to go through and you start to really recite that stuff, you know, by the time I was done kind of just going, these are my life experiences. I was like, I really... I have really been through a lot yeah. and if this was any other person I would be saying you poor thing you know mm -hmm. so why can't I say to myself you poor thing rather than buck up and get over it right right and uh yeah so you know I think sometimes if you if you when we're struggling to recognize you know our it's it's hard to recognize your victories if you don't recognize what you've been through and sometimes just making a list like that really helps us to appreciate what we've been through and makes it okay for us to celebrate those small victories. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah. And I saw so that's something else that I encourage people to do. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So the recording says we're at about an hour and a half, um, <laughs> which is fine, which is fine. Um, do you have any, any, any further, like, 
anything else to say to the audience at this point? I mean, this has been an amazing conversation. You are an amazing person. And I cannot wait, you know, for everybody, like at this point, for everybody to hear it, like, okay, so for the people who are listening right now, you've already heard it, but you have no <laughs> idea how excited I am right now, like a week beforehand, for you to be able to hear this, right? So, uh, do you have any 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 parting thoughts or, or, or anything else for, for our, our audience? You know, I, I, um, I think the only thing I would say is that um, it's okay to not be okay. And mm -hmm. meet yourself where you are. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, you're loved, even if, you know, no matter what your spiritual beliefs are, there is somebody out in this world who loves you, who thinks that you're important who thinks that you're special mm -hmm. and cares about what happens to you and with you and, and, um, and keep on fighting because when you, when you work the process, life is so much better and there is a lot of hope out there. Um, you can unlock everything within you that is amazing. Um, you're already amazing, but sometimes we don't see it. And when you can unlock it, it's, it's, it's fantastic. Yes, absolutely. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much, Teresa. Thank you. Thank you. This has just been awesome. So I appreciate the opportunity to come on and share with you. Uh, yeah, no, and I, I, I hope the listeners enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. <laughs> So one of the things about recording these interviews in advance is that I get to go back and listen to them and unpack and maybe try to grab some of the links that I missed in my notes or that hadn't been sent to me or, or something like that. So there's a lot that I'm missing from the show notes this week, and I'm really sorry about that. I should also remind you that we have a planner giveaway before we get to our badge code this week. Uh, if you go back to our previous episode, episode 30 with Lydian, you can find out how you can win a set of their planning pages that they offer on their Etsy account. And we will be closing out the entry period for that on February 2nd. So that is a week from the Friday this is airing. So you've got about a week left from the publication date on this, which should be somewhere around January 25th. After that, I think that's, you know, everything to cover before we get to the badge code. This week's badge code is Wounded Bird. And for those who are new to the whole badging thing... We issue open badges, which is a standardized image with metadata to talk about where you earned the badge and, in some cases, what criteria were needed to earn it. And it's being used by institutions and museums and educational organizations, and I'm really pleased to be able to offer them to our listeners. So 
if you go to our website, productivityalchemy.com, and you enter in all caps the word wounded birds in the little bit where it says, you know, enter badge code, you will receive the badge for this week's episode. And I think that's about it for this week. So you can support this podcast and the other podcasts we produce here at patreon.com slash Ursula V, where we talk about um, this podcast. You support Ursula's writing. You support the other podcasts we do, the short fiction podcast, The Hidden Almanac, and the Not Safe for Work Kevin and Ursula Eat Cheap, which also involves a lot of, frankly, heavy drinking. Because some of the foods that we have to eat, you, you want to fortify yourself spiritually and physically and mentally before you, you start. Um, so, yeah, um, please feel free to support us. If you can't support us monetarily, spread the word, share the episode, and remember, folks, be productive. We'll see you next week.